You're listening to Write Right with the Story Perfect Editing Team. Visit us at www.storyperfectediting.com for more information on developmental editing, copy editing, and proofreading services for your writing. Season 1, Episode 3. Hello, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Write Right Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'm Elon. I am a proofreader and apprentice editor, uh, and I'm currently drinking about a finger and a half of uh, Johnny Walker Blue Label, and it is delightful. Uh, let's kick it over to you, John. Well, I'm John Robin. Um, I'm the senior editor with Story Perfect Editing Services, and I am here today with a little bit of Kraken rum. Uh, you know, it's Saturday. I figure I, I deserve a little bit of indulgence. You certainly do. How about you, Katie? Uh, I'm Katie. I'm an editor at Story Perfect, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, most of my life, it seems like now. I am drinking um, The Blood of the Young, and I'm currently reading Deadpool in the Marvel series, because um, who doesn't nice. like a little breaking the fourth wall? Uh, Dale, how about you? Uh, me? I'm Dale. I'm an apprentice editor and beta reader, and um, as well as something else I completely forgot. It's off the top of my, top of my head right now. Um, I'm drinking this tea. Um, iced tea, basically, and it's pretty good. And I'm also reading uh, Political Ideologies, Their Origins and Impact by Leon Baradot. Fancy. How about you, Tyler? Uh, hello, I'm Tyler. I'm currently drinking some very generic uh, Bach red wine. Also, I'm reading <laughs> um, some Writer's Digest books on how to write great fiction. Figured I could... Uh, Get some insight. Awesome. I forgot to say what I was reading. I'm reading uh, uh, Haruki Murakami's The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Um, it's so weird. Yeah. But I, great. Like, it's I've great. It's before. just so weird. <laughs> it is indeed. But, like, everything he does are. is weird. Yeah. yeah. I forgot my book as well. Um, I should say that uh, I'm reading a book called um, Story Trump's Structure, by Stephen James. Um, it's I alternate between the two. I know I mentioned last time that I'm reading Stephen Erickson's Gardens of the Moon, but uh, I like to also read a little bit of craft on the side. It's a great book about um, how to really create a tense story. I'm a fan of Stephen James. Mm, yeah, I think he's I a great that writer. Book in my Kindle yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I bought like recommended. a thirty book set. Uh, from a story bundle that was all about writing, writing uh, tools and things like that. Some really great uh, materials in there. Um, so our topic this time is narration and person, and it connects pretty directly to our last episode, which was about tense. In fact, I thought there was something rather interesting that kept happening in last episode. We were, uh, for lack of a better word, we were conflating tense with person. We kept on referring to past as third person and present as first person. And I think there's a really natural assumption that that third person present might not be as uh you you don't expect that as much as you expect first uh present tense to be first person and the same is true of third person with the past um so there's definitely a very linear connection between that topic and this one um so let's sort of let's sort of jump right into it uh i feel like dale last time was saying something really fascinating and i want you to say whatever it is that's on your mind at any point in time this episode just make sure it's fascinating <laughs> yeah, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> so, John was saying last episode that that uh, 
if you're in doubt, you should go with third person. Um, and that, that advice came from Brandon Sanderson's Write About Dragons uh, YouTube series, which I highly recommend to anyone looking to write fantasy uh, or science fiction. It's an incredible wealth of resources. Um, Brandon Sanderson is uh, rather successful, uh, so I'm sure you can trust his judgment when it comes to some of the uh, more technical writing advice. Um, but there was something that we talked about after we stopped recording, which was this idea that you don't have to stick to one person and one tense in the same story. Uh, John was talking about a book he was editing. So do you want to you wanna bring that back up, John? Okay. Well, um, one of the projects I worked on was erotica. And uh, that's a very interesting genre. Um, it's, you know, that's one where we talked about, we talked last time about when do you use present, when do you use past. And we didn't mention erotica, so I thought it would be great to bring that up this time. Um, this book had uh, actually all four possibilities uh, first person, present, first person, past, third person, present, third person, past. And the author uh, very cleverly chose um, which narrator uh, got the different um, tenses. So, for example, he had a very spontaneous, uh, impulsive, live in the now kind of character. And this character's story was told first person, present. And so when you were there, you just felt like you were like right there. It's happening right away. And, of course, with this type of genre, I mean, that's, a, that's not a bad thing, right? Um, exactly. And then he had, a, he had another character who um, was very emotional. And it was sort of – actually, he had two characters who he chose um, first person past tense. And the thing about first person versus third is first person is very intimate. Um, it's sort of like you, you really – like stepping into somebody's diary or into their yeah. own – personal thoughts. And so for these two characters who were kind of like the two love interests and will they ever get together, that was sort of, uh, that went on throughout the, the it was a series of, of five stories that became one book. Um, so these characters, I mean, there was a little bit of distance, but it was a little bit more um, internal, what was happening, uh, a lot more reflective. So I thought it was a great choice. Um, and then he had another character who was a bit of an older fellow, and um, he was not a frequent character, but it was interesting because he chose um, third person uh, past for that tense or for that character for that character's story, um, and uh, it was interesting because the guy normally was sort of like an observer, and most of the characters were these young, impulsive, uh, you know, young, impulsive men who were leading the high life. And uh, you have this older person who's kind of watching them and almost a little bit like a father figure. So it was interesting using that, um, using that mode. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember there was a third person present. And I think that was also somebody who was a little bit distant. And they were also really in the, in the now. Um, so it was There's just, something it was... sort of delightfully Faulkner about that. Because Faulkner yeah. was weird with tenses and, and switches like that. And I think it's really clever. And it's a really good way to say something about your characters without saying anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. linguistic communication. Mm -hmm. My question would be when you have that many different characters that are in different um, tenses, how do you like place them in time according like to each together? other? together? Yeah, like when you're thinking about the characters as a whole and the whole story that's happening, how would the reader um, associate them in, in time together? 
I think it's pretty standard when people, unless unless you're told otherwise, often when you read a book, you your assumption is that it's in order, um, unless there are events that indicate that it'll go a different way. Now, to make sure that it was clear uh, with this book, uh, it was structured by days, so things happened on different days of the week, and those were actually in the headers. So you you saw there was a chronological uh, order to everything, but also the way that it was told, um, there was no sense of somebody in a distant future telling something that happened long ago. Um, actually, one thing that when I was early apprenticing as an editor, one thing that uh, one of my overseeing editors um, mentioned when they were talking about the past tense, uh, it's not necessarily long, long ago. Often the past tense is just a couple seconds ago, right. and it is, it's mimicking real life where we don't actually live in the present. We live technically like a split second in the past. We've got these experiences yeah. that just happened to us, and now we're zoomed ahead. And so yeah. third-person past is, is modeling that. Uh, idea, depending on how you tell it. But there is always like in the detective novel, you know, or, or mysteries where you're telling the story as it happened. And then that's usually framed in such a way. So I mean, if you were mixing that up in your story, that would definitely create a lot of uh, confusion. Yeah. Yeah, that's Sometimes a fascinating way of putting it. I, I don't want to say I prefer first person, but I feel like most of the books I read for fun are in first person. Um. Because I like that, like, a lot of times with first person, you don't get all the information about who that person is right away. Uh, a lot of times mm -hmm. you don't know their name or their gender or, or really mm -hmm. any of that. And you're led to make assumptions that sometimes are wrong. And I think that's really fun. And I think as a writer, <laughs> that's something to aim for. It's to mm -hmm. sort of confuse people uh, with that. I mean, not on purpose if that's not your thing. But I, I think it's super fun to confuse people yeah. by making it the gender or just, like, making the person somehow not um, expected. And that's yeah, I, something I you can't a, do in the third person. Well, I actually was going to say, I read a Anne Lachey's Ancillary Justice. Um, okay. a it's a spectacular sci-fi novel. Just definitely go read it. Oh, my God. You have to. Oh, my go list. do it. It's so good. Me too. Um, so what she does that's fascinating is she has her story in third person past, and her mechanism for confusing gender is her character can't perceive it. Oh, that's amazing. And she uses... Uh, female pronouns for everything. And so you learn the gender of characters over time by their actions. Um, and sometimes you never learn it. And you learn also that it just doesn't really matter, which is an awesome experience as a reader. You assume all of this stuff about characters based on, you know, femi on, on the female pronouns, and then mm -hmm. as the story progresses and as you continue to read it, and you just, that, that assumption starts to vanish and you just <laughs> see these things as people and then eventually gender settles into place, but it never really mattered. Um, and it was a really cool really experience as a reader. That's really super delightful. Oh, yeah. it was, it's such a good book. And the whole trilogy is out, mm. so if you can like burn through it. Um, and oh. she was a oh. Hugo winner, and she, she's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, well, there's an author who just um, who released a book, and he's sort of like notoriously chauvinistic and sexist, and he wrote a first-person female protagonist. And mm. pretty much people are up in arms because they've just like... Uh, perceived it as his justification of sexism from her perspective being like, yeah, of course I want to be taken care of. And, you know, yeah. it, and he's just using it. And a lot of people do question whether they can write a first person perspective. That's not their own. Um, yeah. I have trouble with it. Every time I write first person, they are sassy as, uh, and I just can't <laughs> like seem to make them a serious person. 
um, when I'm in first person. So I always switch to third if I want them to be different than me. Um, that's my tool for that. But I, I know um, some people are really great at it. Um, but when I write first person, I end up writing women. Really? And I, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder what that means about me. But we can talk about that. You know, I don't on feel the like we have the resources. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we can we can get into some interesting psychology well, so, if we well, want. The thing is, is um, <laughs> what I decided. I recently uh, read a friend's manuscript that was in the first person, and and she's not heavy on physical descriptions, so you know gender, but you don't really know. And I realized that you could like race swap or gender swap most of her characters, and it wouldn't make a difference. And recently, I think. Uh... Recently, J.K. Rowling actually backed the notion of a black Hermione, saying that she didn't give enough character description. All it said was that she had a certain type of hair and that she was very intelligent. There's nothing saying that she's not a certain way. You all just imagined her that way. Yeah, Um, and and that's that's just as something with the readers, just, you know, they put whatever they want onto those characters. But I think, you know, sometimes as a writer, it's nice to leave those open so that there are really broad perceptions of your characters. Like, instead of being like, well, we all know what Bella from Twilight looks like because she covered it, man. She covered it pretty well, (laughs) like, repeatedly. So I get it. Good brunette. But, like, I think it's nice if, like, when they're made into, if they're made into a movie and the casting, you know, people get all upset. Um, But as long as that person can encapsulate whatever, like, you know, the base characteristics are, I've never found it to be a problem or make a difference. And I think that's sort of an important part of, of writing well-rounded characters, especially from the first person, when you um, are dealing with a protagonist's perceptions of other people. Um, it's just a really interesting way to go through the book. And then that, that first person really colors your whole uh, perception of the novel and the other characters in it. Absolutely. We are uh, right about at the 10-minute mark, so let's break for our little ad for ourselves. Um, So we are Story Perfect Editing Services, and we provide uh, developmental editing, copy editing, and proofreading services for self-pub and indie authors. Um, And in our first episode, John gave like a really powerful and impassioned speech about the benefits of... uh, of having a team work on, on your book. And uh, in my experience as an apprentice, I can say absolutely without a doubt uh, that, that the work I've seen uh, and the editing that's been done on it has made it really, really strong. Um, I don't, I, we don't have like a, like a pitch pitch for it. Does anyone have a pitch pitch for it? Am I just, did I forget that we have a, like a actual pitch for Story Perfect? Let's make a tagline. Let's make a tagline. Story Perfect yeah. editing because. Uh... Because you need us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Everyone needs an editor. No, Everyone, no one is above editing. Editors. Yeah, totally. Um, that that's we, that's a great one. We could one. say something like the power of pulling the power of three from the traditional model. You know, there you go. Uh, there you go. We can <laughs> we like can it. work with that. Okay. You know, because that's what we do. It's a uh, lot of lot of times when people self publish, they oh I got to get an editor. They get someone to read it over and fix the grammar and maybe make a couple suggestions, and then that's it. But in the traditional industry, uh, you get three editors generally. It goes to the higher level developmental editor, and there's a, there's some interaction there. Then there's a copy editor who is a totally different person, different set of eyes, different focus. And then there's a final proofreader who who looks it all over. Sometimes there's many, many people, but there's always those three, and that's what we build ourselves around. 
Awesome. That was beautifully done. Um, so let's hop back into our discussion of narration in person. Um, so we were just talking about uh, how you can achieve sort of uh, intentionally vague character through certain mechanisms of description or lack thereof. Uh, John Scalzi, I think, I haven't read this book, but he wrote a book evidently where the protagonist can be read as male or female, and you don't know the entire book. Um, and so the audiobook actually has two versions, one with a male narrator, who I believe was Will Wheaton, and one with a lady narrator, whose name I do not know, and I am ashamed. Um, but I, I think it's called Lock-In. I'm not sure. Not positive. Um, but it sounded really interesting to me when I heard that because, you know, words, as, as writers and as editors, we have this infinitely variable tool. Um, and it's interesting to see how frequently it gets used in a very limited number of ways. And so it's nice to hear about books like the one, the erotica novel John edited that had it, that had it. Jesus, edit that, uh, <laughs> that had so many uses of person intense. And I was working on a project for a while that had two characters, one of whom was first person, the other was going to be third person, and then they were going to merge into a single character, and I was going to drop it into third person at that point for the rest of the novel. But you're not limited to this uh, single tense for your entire, uh, your single uh, narrator, your single person, your single tense for the entire novel. And you can... Uh, have a really, really strong impact by making, uh, you know, these these very intentioned switches. But as editors, uh, have you have you a have you seen anyone doing these things besides you, John, who you absolutely just did? Um, and b, what are what do you think are some of like the key critical pitfalls that should be avoided when trying too many things like that? So we've talked we've been talking about third person, but I feel like we've sort of uh, made the assumptions that it's third person limited. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk a little bit about third-person omniscient, which I am not a fan of. <laughs> and it's a pretty old like storytelling technique, and I get it. But as far as like um, writing goes, where there's a narrator who knows everything, and they hint about it a lot, if you know what I mean, they go, and they were about to find out. You know, like mm -hmm. I am not a huge fan of those lead-ins from um, narration. I think uh, that's but because it's it detaches. Sorry, go ahead. No, go. Please. Okay, I was going to say, I think it's because it detaches you from the immersion of the story. Like, you, uh, when, it, when it's in third person like that, you're keenly aware of the narrator, and that kind of, like, brings you out of the actual story that's taking place. And that might be, like, the, the source of some of the annoyance for you. No, for sure. I, I mean, I... It is definitely like an older storytelling technique, but I feel like unless it's a fairy tale, I'm not like super interested in uh, those kinds of like bombs being dropped from that perspective. And I, I haven't edited too much where there has been intentional switching between first and third. I've read a lot of unintentional switching. Um, <laughs> that needed correcting. <laughs> that needed correcting, but um, not too much intentional. That's for me bring I'm sorry, I must be lagging or something. I keep accidentally talking over people. It's no problem. Go for it. I was going to say, that brings up a comment for me and a, and a question for John, actually. Um, third person limited gives you a lot of play with narrative distance. Like you can, it, it almost seems like you can get really close to writing in first person with third person limited. Um, in, yeah. in situations like with, with John's book, his, his characters are in third person, but they're really, really, really intimate with the character's thoughts and everything. 
And th and that brings up the question: uh, What what made you want to write in third person uh, limited versus first person, being as your book is really involved with the characters? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I person I think it's going back to the rule that we we mentioned opening this episode, <laughs> where when in doubt, use third person. Um, I, in reflecting on the book and as I started telling the story, it really felt right to use third person limited. And as you, as you've noted, Tyler, um, the third person limited doesn't actually limit you from getting intimate with your characters. Um, in fact, I think it tends to, I mean, I, I almost could compare the two like in terms of closeness, you don't have to lose that because of the the beautiful thing about monologue and our ability to get right inside our characters' heads and our and their thoughts. I think um, I think the difference between using third and using first um, comes down to just uh, I guess a choice uh, of how I wanted to tell the story. I didn't want it to feel like vignettes or, or tales that people were telling you. Um, about something that happened, I wanted you to feel like you're sort of there in a movie, uh, mm -hmm. and you're you're right alongside the characters, where you can you can see into what's happening. Mm -hmm. And of course, with the um, with the limited um, limited uh, point of view, it's it m models human experience. Where I'm sitting here right now, and the suspense I I encounter is not knowing what other people are thinking or not knowing what's about to happen. And uh, that's just as valid an experience as, uh, um, you know, if I told it first person like you were reading my journal, it would have a bit of a different feel to it. I would argue that third person limited, sorry, Elon, no is, is actually limited in the, in the opposite direction where you know a lot about the characters and a limited amount about the world, like outside of your protagonist and your main mm. characters. Like, I feel like you all, almost always, you get a pretty good, like, you get very intimate and close with characters, even in third person, but that your knowledge of just, like, the people around them and the world around them is what's limited. Hmm. I, I see what you're saying. Like, as oh, in sorry. first person, you're mainly going off of observations that the protagonist is making versus in third person, all of that is in the, in the narration. Mm hmm Exactly. Mm -hmm. To me, it seems like uh, there's an apt metaphor in one of John's statements about it being kind of like a movie. Um, and if you think about person narration kind of as a camera that's on a rail, right? And like first person, your camera is in your character's eyes and therefore limited extremely by what they're able to see. Um, third person limited, you have this enormous range of flexibility uh, where you can be right up into the back of the character's head all the way back out to far enough that you can have a pretty big scope of what of what is visible and you can even move the camera to wherever you want different characters different uh settings and sceneries but if you have third person omniscient you're limited to this very far out view um yeah and so it seems like the reason maybe people go with third person uh spe specifically third person limited is for that flexibility um and it feels very natural to fall into that as a storyteller um i could be wrong but that i mean i just i read so so many books like this and it seems like there is that flexibility um Third-person omniscient implies the presence of someone else. And that, as a reader, raises a lot of questions for me. Like, I end up really wondering about the narrator. In third-person limited, there's no narrator. There's a narrative voice, but there's no narrator, if that makes sense. Um, like, this omniscient feels like a person, but it's like Morgan Freeman or something. Like, somebody, <laughs> somebody way away, godlike. 
who uh, gets to know everything, who you want to know more about, and then that's like a whole complicated relationship you have with an extra character, basically. I can't remember... Sorry. Sorry. Um, I I can't remember the name of the book, um, but uh, the narrator was Death. Uh, Do you remember the name of the book? It was a, it was about um, had something to do with the Holocaust. Um, it recently came out and it was a movie. I just can't remember the name of it. But anyway, uh, if nobody remembers the name of the book, it might come to me later. But it was interesting because this whole to choose the narrator as death uh, when you're telling a story about the Holocaust uh, that that was a apparently the, the author told the whole book in third person limited and something just felt wrong and they didn't know what their editor told them this is not it's just not working and then finally they had the insight to tell it in an omniscient uh narration where the narrator was deaf so you know there's a good example right there of where the choice could could actually really tell your story the way it's supposed to be told um versus yeah. doing it carelessly just because oh I want to head hop I don't want to set things up structurally yeah. you know and going back to Tyler's question about how to choose, I think, like, for me, it's never very, um, it's never much of, like, a cognitive choice. It's like, how do I want to write it? And that's the way I try to write it first. Um, in my current project, I was writing it, and then it felt like I was missing a lot of information. It is third-person limited, but I added, uh, I have two characters who were not together all the time, and we were missing like, all this information, so I just do a perspective switch. It's third-person limited with her, and then it switches to third person limited with him so that the world is complete but still limited. There's no omniscience. Mm-hmm. And that felt to me like it solved my problem and I could keep writing. And really that's about as cognitive, as like conscious as I get about uh, choosing mm-hmm. those without being like experimental really. I think that's a great I'll point, Katie. That- Sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tyler. I was going to say, how do you guys feel about somebody who starts out like uh, from an from an omniscient viewpoint, but then zooms in, like to establish setting, but then zooms into a third person limited? Is that acceptable? The beginning of every single Wheel of Time novel does this. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's basically we were wind. talking about prologues in the first episode. Totally, Most totally. Most prologues do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it's about reader confidence. When you're reading a book, do you feel confident that this author is knows what they're doing and is doing it deliberately and also the effect you know because you could do something deliberately and have a the wrong effect so you always need to consider your audience um, who's reading this how are they going to respond to it is this is this having the effect you want to have to tell the story you want to tell um, you can really do anything you want you know there are no rules uh, <laughs> I mean yeah, the, the story story's going to trump everything but there's effects, and uh, that's why there's rules, because the rules exist. Because when you do things and you mess around, certain things happen, and we have the rules to help deal with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not all James Joyce, you know? Yeah. We can't yeah. all, like, jump in and, and win at it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's certainly helpful, I think, sometimes, as a writing experiment, and just to, like, help yourself be creative and get out of that headspace sometimes to switch the perspective. And, and write separately. Like sometimes I will write things separately from my manuscript in a different perspective, and then take those events and add them in, um, just to make sure that, like uh, John said, like I'm confident in the in that those events happened, and this is how it happened, and 
that helps me sound more confident when I when I add it into the material. I, th- I think that's actually a great writing prompt that we could give our listeners uh, if if they're if they're so inclined um, to say you know you have a you have your protagonist um, and they're you know doing something somewhere. Tell that event from the perspective of someone watching. Yeah, that's a great prompt. Yeah. Um, we are right at a little, a few minutes over time. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on uh, narration in person? Uh, write how you want to write first. That's my advice. Write how it feels good, and then um, if it feels bad later, you know, change it. Get experimental. It can always be but fixed. like, exactly like John said in the previous episode, it's all about the simplest answer. Sometimes you just need to write what comes to you, and then you know, if you need to change person. You, you can. And, and in the end, it will probably be really helpful to you, like with that project and as a writer. Yeah, I think to echo what Dale said in the previous episode at, the, at our closing remarks, keep it simple. Um, <laughs> a lot of times you want to you wanna be James Joyce or you want to mess around with things. Um, and it, it goes with art. This goes with a lot of things that uh, a lot of artistic per, uh, endeavors um, it's often the simplest, elegant thing that works. Uh, choosing how to tell your story is, uh, as you said, Katie, it's not so much a, a rational thing where you work it out in a formula sheet. It's very mm-hmm. intuitive. It's almost on you know, a spiritual level. That's, I mean, yeah. I, that's how I personally I know. I agree. I agree totally. There is like a Zen or a meditation or whatever. You just you have to feel it, and it aligns and resonates inside, and you just know when you got your story the right way. Um, yeah. So you just listen to that rather than being complicated and artsy. Um, and then when you choose what you're going to tell your story, and you could figure out the rules of the certain tense just to make sure you're consistent. Yeah. That's a and if you're confused, advice. call Story Perfect. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, that, that's, that's right. the bottom line, we'll right? It's it's you have a story to tell, <laughs> tell it, and then get some editors to help you just sort of tweak it so that it's perfect, that's or right. as close to perfect as you can get. That just about Perfectly wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, fellow podcasters, and for you listeners. Thank you for joining us, and uh, be on the lookout for the next episode next month. <laughs>